You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. I want to give a big uh, thank you for joining us this Advent season for this Christmas uh, service. I hope you join us on Christmas Eve as well as we celebrate uh, what it means for God to make his home with us, uh, to come home to us in the coming of Jesus at Christmas. What, what I'd like to share this morning is actually a prequel to that story. The Christmas story actually doesn't start with shepherds and wise men seeing a, st- a star. Uh, it actually begins hundreds of years in the same location, but with a prophet named Isaiah, who lived in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah around 740 A.D. So 700 years before the events of Bethlehem took place uh, is, is where sort of the prequel starts. You guys like prequels? I love prequels. Well, here's the prequel. Uh, so I'm going to be like the ghost of Christmas past. Let's, let's come on back, you know, a few hundred years uh, to what took place. Same land, same location, but with a prophet named Isaiah. He was ministering uh, during the worst time imaginable. It was, it was horrible. The nation was divided through civil war, and both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom were in decline. Neither one was prospering. Uh, neither one were doing well. It was just getting worse and worse. National decline. All their best days were behind them. Not only that, but they had threat of invasion. They were fighting amongst themselves. And so it, uh, Isaiah is, is ministering to the people of God and speaking to kings. And the whole time there's this threat of invasion from the north. And there's also a threat of invasion from the east, the empire of Assyria. And with all of those threats, there's this temptation to compromise politically. The kings want to, want to partner up with Assyria and compromise. And Isaiah says over and over again for years throughout the book of Isaiah, he is saying to the kings and to the people, don't compromise. Don't buddy up with, don't partner up with Assyria because that's going to bring about a spiritual compromise. It's going to ruin the nation. It's going to bring about poverty. It's going to bring about hunger. It's going to actually bring about eventual exile for the people of God. And he is shouting that from the rooftops and nobody is listening to that. And so his whole ministry, all the prophets' ministries were largely unsuccessful. So he is just, his whole ministry uh, could for him feel like an absolute failure because nobody is listening to the words that God is giving to him as he is saying it over and over and over and over again. And so you could appreciate What Isaiah was consumed with, he was consumed with this burning question, and it's essentially this. When does this gloom and this darkness finally come to an end? His whole world is like dark and black and darkness everywhere and only is going to get worse. That's essentially what God's told him. It's only, it's bad now and it is only going to get worse. Worse, And so he's consumed with the conclusion of that. When does that end? When does all of it end? When does the gloom go away? When does the darkness go away? 
And there's probably somebody in the room who could resonate with a question like that because that's actually your question. Maybe not phrased like that, but you, you can resonate with a question like that. And if you're not, maybe this is like the, the greatest time of your life that you're experiencing. And I'm glad. I'd celebrate with you if it is. But you could at least appreciate the person in the room who is asking a question like that. Or you could at least appreciate Isaiah who is asking throughout his, his book that question. When does it end? And the answer that God gives to him is the answer of Christmas. It's shocking. It's surprising. It comes over and over again throughout his book. Is that Christmas is the death of gloom in the birth of Christ. That's God's answer to Isaiah. Christmas is the death of gloom in the birth of Christ. And what I want to do is just look at a couple of passages out of Isaiah 8 and out of Isaiah 9 and show you, kind of unpack that, uh, of what we're talking about. What kind of gloom has to be overcome? What is, what's pictured in Isaiah 8 about that? What kind of death? What does gloom look like when it starts to die, when it starts to unravel? And then what kind of birth? How does the birth of Jesus start to reverse all of that? So behind me on the screens are going to be the passages. You don't have to turn there. You're welcome to. But in Isaiah chapter 8 is the first passage we're going to look at. What kind of gloom is Isaiah staring down? You have to see this to appreciate what he's going through, okay? So right behind me, Isaiah 8, 4 through 8. I mentioned Assyria was this empire that Isaiah is saying, don't partner with, uh, with Assyria and, uh, and that nobody's listening. Well, in verse 4, God tells Isaiah, Samaria, that's the land of where he is, will be carried away before the king of Assyria. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently... And rejoice over Rezin and the son of Romelia. So you don't have to be a Bible scholar to see that the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh are the waters of God. It's the, the waters of trusting in God. Because you're refusing those waters and running to these other waters of the east. Verse 7 says, therefore behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river. And they're going to get more than they ever asked for. Mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. That's the land of God. The land of God is going to be ruined with this devastation of this water that is coming from the kingdom of Assyria. And it's going to flow up to their neck. They're going to be up to their neck in destruction because they refuse the waters that come from God. And they're pursuing the waters that come from man. And this is how bad it is going to get. Verse 21 says, they will pass through the land. Isaiah, this is your people. Here's what's going to happen. They were going to pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. That's spiritual hunger, but that's also 
physical hunger. That's the kind of destruction that's coming. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. That's not upward to trust. That's upward in contempt. So this judgment that comes upon the people of God doesn't cause them to repent. They just continue enraged, speaking contemptuously against their king and their God. And they will look to the earth. That's where they've been looking. They will look to their hands, what they can accomplish, what they can do, what they can solve, what they can fix. But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. This is how bad it's going to get. They're going to look to themselves, and what they're going to discover is only more destruction. They're going to discover more distress. They're going to discover more darkness. And then they're going to experience the gloom of anguish. Now, anguish is one thing, but the gloom of anguish is altogether another thing. They're going to experience this gloom. The Hebrew word for this word is faintness, weariness, distress. They're going to experience the faintness of anguish and the weariness that comes from this anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is the worst possible scenario that Isaiah could imagine for his people, his his. The people of God are going to experience this gloom of anguish, this darkness, this distress. Not just, not just darkness, thick darkness. Not just thick darkness, thrusted into thick darkness. It's like this picture of a child like running, scared, frightened, trying to find protection, trying to find somebody who will hold them, hold them and, and, and care for them. And that's, that's the people of God, thrust into this terrible weariness, this terrible faintness. Now, Isaiah sees this for all the people of God, but, it, but he understands that the reason why this is happening is a result of sin. It's not just some kind of victimization that's just coming from this foreign nation. It is coming through this foreign nation, but basically God's people have broken God's law. They turned their back on God. They chose not to love God, not to love neighbor, and they brought on this thick darkness in, in essence, Isaiah would understand the people have thrusted themselves into this thick darkness. They're running away from God. No, they don't like the predicament that they're in, but they have chosen that instead of the gentle flowing waters that only come from God. Now, what Isaiah describes is a perfect uh, illustration of what's happened in our life. You and I have chosen the exact same Thing. Because we have broken God's law, because we have turned our back on loving God and loving people, we have also thrusted ourselves in thick darkness. And Isaiah is able to recognize that, yes, I'm broken for the people of God that I see making this choice all day long, but I too have made this choice. He says in Isaiah 6, when he saw the glory of God, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. See, that's where the Christmas story starts. It comes and starts when we recognize that we are a people 
of unclean lips. And we live among a people who have thrust themselves into thick darkness. And we deserve the faintness that comes from that and the distress that comes from that because we have chosen our own path, our own selfish ways. And if you, if you are honest with yourselves, you can recognize that, yes, you too have chosen this as well. And so, yes, we are victims of this cosmic darkness, but we are contributors as well. Isaiah said he, he was. I, I am. You are. Everybody has contributed as much as we've been victims of it. And that's where the Christmas story starts. It's that kind of cosmic gloom that has to be overcome. It's that kind of distress, that kind of darkness. It's a God-sized problem. It's a God-sized darkness that has to be overcome. So what does it look like when it is overcome? What does it look like for God to kill this gloom? What does it look like for this kind of gloom to start to die and start to reverse? Well, praise God, there's always another chapter in the Bible, and there's always more to read. So if you go past chapter 8 to chapter 9, in the very first verse, we see what it looks like when gloom starts to come to an end. And notice the contrasting word, but. Now the NIV, this is the ESV, the NIV actually uh, chooses the English word nevertheless because there is such a contrast between chapter 8 and chapter 9. They chose nevertheless. Uh, ESV, they, they just have but. But uh, nevertheless, there will be, hear this, hear this declaration over this scenario. Nevertheless, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. God's just dropping these nuggets, these hints that there's going to be a Savior who's going to come the way, by the way of the sea. He's going to be able to part the waters like Moses. He's coming from beyond the Jordan. He's coming uh, a Savior from Galilee who is able to minister unto the nations, every tribe, every tongue, every people, group. All these, uh, these hints are in verse 1. And then he starts to describe what it would look like when the Savior comes on the scene. Look, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Notice, the, the people... Now, Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. He lived in a land of deep darkness. He lived among a people who walked around in the darkness. The picture here is that they are not walking towards the light. And they certainly don't have any inner light. 
They're walking in the darkness because they've chosen the darkness. They're stumbling around in the darkness, and they're only choosing more darkness. And on them has light shown. It's the people walking in darkness. It's you and I. We're not choosing God. We're not running towards God. We don't have this inner light finding our way. We are stumbling around in the dark. And on them, they have seen a great light, the people who walked in darkness. On them has light shown. This is mercy. This is God showing up in the dark, and he's turning the lights on, and he is, he is shining up in the in the most unexpected way, in the most surprising way. And this is not wishful thinking. This isn't like, you know, wishing upon a star. This is some objective light coming outside of people who are in the darkness that's breaking upon them unexpectedly and surprisingly. It's kind of the same image that you have of the shepherds who are doing their own thing in the dark when all of a sudden the glory of God shines and just lights up the sky all of a sudden, and they're terrified because of this objective light. And that's what's happening. Something on the outside shining down upon them, and they don't even deserve it. And verse 3 says, and you've multiplied the nation. It comes with this multiplication. There's power in the light that shines upon them. And this objective light brings about something subjective in them. Verse 3 says, you have increased its joy. Joy is breaking out upon people so that they rejoice before you. So they weren't rejoicing before, but now they're rejoicing before God. As with joy at the harvest. That's like as with the kind of joy that you experience on your best day, on the harvest day, on the holiday on the Christmas day, there's a lot of challenges with Christmas, but the, on the best moments of Christmas day, it's that kind of joy, that kind of joy that you experience, that's what they're experiencing. That kind of joy just breaking out upon them, over them, in them. And then they're glad when they divide the spoil. That, that kind of joy is connected to a, a, a Savior who is about, who's able to bring about justice. Verse 4 says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. It's a Savior that is able to break the rod of the oppressor. Now, there is oppression that comes because of sin. There's oppression that comes because of injustice and evil. And for joy to break out means that there has to be someone who is able to break that rod that you and I are unable to break. The rod of the oppressor must be destroyed. Somebody's got to have that kind of strength. Verse 5 says, There is somebody with that strength, and every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment's going to be rolled in blood and burned as fuel for the fire. Everything that brings about darkness and distress and evil is going to be rolled up and burned as fuel for the fire. There's, that's the kind of Savior that has to come and undo the distress and darkness that we've chosen. Now, this is so much of what the Christmas story is all about. Christmas is God's declared war on gloom and darkness because a king can break off the burdens 
and the oppressions. There's a king who can do this. Well, what kind of king? What kind of birth? How does the birth of Jesus reverse this? Well, keep reading in verse 6. Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Now, it could have been written, you know, in, in a little bit of reverse, a child is born to us or a son is given to us. But there's dramatic impact when this, the, the phrase to us is the start of that. To us. Who, who are we? We are the undeserving. We, we don't deserve what's coming next in the next phrase. To us. To us what? To us a child is born. To us, the undeserving, a son is given. Now connect, there's an inseparable connection here. To us and to us, that's obviously an inseparable connection. Child and son, easy to see the similarity there. But notice also, born and given. The birth of Jesus is a gift to us. The birth of Jesus, unmistakable. The birth of Jesus is a gift to you. It's a gift to us. We do not deserve this gift. We can't match this gift. We can't merit this gift. We can't earn this gift. That's the nature of a gift. A gift can only be received. That's what a gift is. For a gift to be a gift, it has to be received. It's not something we can earn or pay back. This is the gift of Christmas. It's the birth of Jesus for us. A rescue mission from God in the person of Jesus to us, to be received by us, to us, undeservingly, as a gift. And this son who is given to us, notice what he can do. He can do what you can't do. He can do what your highest hopes of some political leader can do. Notice, the government shall be upon his shoulders. That could be literally translated, the weight of the world will be on his shoulders. Does anybody here in this room feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders? Anybody feeling that way? If you don't feel that way, you're going to feel that way uh, before Christmas Day, probably. Uh, there's stuff that you got to do and stuff that's got to get done, and you're going to feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. Some of you are going, man, I can't do this. I cannot go on with the weight of the world on my shoulders. Well, well you never were intended to. God never intended you to shoulder the weight of the world. You don't have that kind of strength. You and I don't have this kind of strength, but there's a child that does. That's what this passage points to. This passage says there's a child who has the strength to shoulder the weight of the world, the weight of your world, the weight of my world. One child has this strength. What kind of child has that kind of strength? Only a child who has the following names attached to him. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Only a child who has the kind of wisdom that is beyond our capabilities, the kind of wisdom that has to come from God because it's wonderful, 
It's full of wonder and awe. It's beyond tracing out. It's needed and helpful and it directs us and guides us into safety. But it didn't come from us. Only a child with a name of mighty God. That's almighty Yahweh himself taking up residence among us, making his home among us. God himself, the everlasting father. That means like the forever protector. That's that, that, that language there is he is a benevolent protector that you can run to that is never going to stop protecting you. He will never stop his good and loving protection of you because it's everlasting. He's a good father, and he's an everlasting father, and he is the prince of peace. That's royal language. It's the king of heaven. The, the most peaceful place in the universe is heaven itself. And here, the king of heaven, the prince of heaven is coming. And when he comes, peace breaks out everywhere that he goes. Everywhere that he is, he's the king of heaven. He's the prince of peace, and it breaks out everywhere that he Goes. That's the promise. That's what it looks like for the child to come and start to undo all of the distress and darkness of this world. Well, look at verse 7. Because there's something interesting that we see here as we keep going through Isaiah's prophecy. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace... There will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of God, the passion of God himself, the heart of God, the heartbeat of God is going to accomplish all of that. And the heart of God is going to be in this Child king coming to us to establish his government and, uh, and his rule. But notice that the rule of the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the mighty God, the prince of peace, it's not just saying that it's never going to end. That is amazing and wonderful. But we can hear those kinds of phrases and, and, and think, well, it's just kind of this static thing that just, you know, e eternity is, is sort of static or something. No, it, it, it says more than that. It's not just that it's never going to end. But notice, it says, of the increase of his government and of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. It's one thing for God to say that his peace will never end. It's another thing for him to say the increase of what brings about peace is never going to end. Are you follow what I'm saying here? His rule will start. The rule of Jesus will start at Bethlehem. And then it will increase. And what this says is that it will never cease increasing. It will never stop increasing. There will never be a high water mark and then it dissipates. It'll only get higher and higher and higher and higher. Peace, according to this, will never stop increasing. Wonder will never 
stop increasing. Glory will never stop increasing. Joy will never stop increasing. There will be a time when gloom will be a foggy memory somewhere back there because of this king. This king is able to make gloom a foggy memory, but not only a foggy memory, an increasingly fading memory. Because joy will increase and peace will increase because his government will never stop increasing. His rule and his authority and everywhere that he goes, peace increases and joy increases and love increases. This is a king who's able to make every single day better than the last day. Like the best is always in front. Like it's almost like, I, I would say it's almost like it's Christmas every day, but I, and there might be some people who say, I don't like Christmas in my, in my favorite day. Well, you pick your favorite day, but for some people, it's like Christmas is their favorite day. And it's not just like it's almost like it's Christmas every day. It's exactly what it is. It's exactly like that because it only gets better and better. Listen, with this king, there's no mountaintop experience. There's no finish line. Oh, there, there's vistas, but there's no finish line. There's no final peak. There's no apex, and then you start to go down. There's no nostalgic looking back at the good old times, because the best is always right in front. It's not like God's this this rock band up in heaven, and when you get there, he just starts passing out his greatest hits and says, this is the best best that, 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 that we had. But no, because the best hits are always the next hit that's coming. And uh, that is amazing. The increase will never stop. It'll never, ever, ever, ever cease. And I don't know about you, but for me, like, relief comes whenever I know for certain something good is coming that I know is going to bring about joy, you know, or, or relief or peace or peace of mind or something like that. You can think of something in your life where relief seemed to come over you when you just realize, as bad as it was, like, something is on its way. Something good is about to come, or it's at least at some point in the future coming. Well, that's what's happening here. There's this promise of this relief that is coming to you and I. Every single person has access to this relief, and this relief is to you, for unto us, it's coming with joy, an unstoppable, unbreaking joy, and it's coming without end. It's never going to stop. And even as I say that, can't you sense the relief that's coming upon you? You may have, you may be going through a, a very, very difficult season of your life. But relief comes when we know for certain something good is on its way. And that's what's happening with this promise of this king. The king is coming with joy and it's coming without end. And we should feel that relief and step into that. And, and sense that even from the Holy Spirit, bringing that upon us. Well, fast forward just a little bit. Let's, you know, if I'm the ghost of Christmas past, let me be the ghost of Christmas future now. Let's move past this to Luke chapter 2. Do you remember the, the story there of what happens, all the events of the manger and the, uh, Bethlehem and all of that and the wise men? But go just a little bit further to Luke chapter 4, because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, the prophet, 
comes to his hometown, like Isaiah, to Jerusalem. And it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. Now this is how we're, we're closing. I, I, I want you to realize what happens next. It, I mean, I read this years ago. and it, it never stops amazing me. In verse 17, it says, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And it says, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where Isaiah 61 was written. So I want you to picture Jesus in this synagogue taking this massive 700-year-old scroll and he starts to unroll the scroll. And his holy hands goes past Isaiah chapter 7. That says the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And he goes past Isaiah 8 and 9 with all of these promises that we've been looking at. And his hands go past Isaiah 42 that says he will bring forth justice to the nations. And it goes past Isaiah 53 where it says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And he lands on Isaiah 61. Now, listen to what he reads. He starts to read Isaiah's prophecy about himself. And notice the similarities of what he says in Isaiah 61. Because you're going to hear some of the same language in Isaiah 61 that we just read in Isaiah 9. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has appointed me. I love that's, that's double language. It's just like in Isaiah 9, unto us, unto us. Jesus is saying, upon me, anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. That's, that's spiritual and physical. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. If you've got a broken heart, he can bind it up. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion. If you're mourning today, listen to this. To grant everybody who is mourning in Christ as a follower of Jesus. Listen, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That he may be glorified. Jesus is saying this is the prophecy of Isaiah. Is that there's a savior coming who can bring about gladness instead of mourning. Praise instead of a faint, gloomy spirit. A garment cloaking us so that you and I could be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. We didn't plant ourselves. We didn't follow some inner light. It's the planting of the Lord because the light's broken upon us that he may be glorified. Now what he does next in this moment 
is staggering. Luke 4.20 tells us, And then he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then, then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says, today, everything that I just read out of Isaiah 61 has been fulfilled in your hearing. Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 43 and Isaiah 53 and all the hundreds of other prophecies that were spoken of this Savior King who is coming. And he's saying, it's today. It's broken upon you. The light is shining. The light of God that breaks out upon us and brings about this joy, this unending joy, is upon you now. And it's happening today. It's right now. It's shining, and some of you don't even realize it's shining. But today, the light is breaking upon you. He says, today the increase begins. The increase of everlasting joy and everlasting peace is right now. The gloom is reversing now. It's ending now. It's today. The year of the Lord's favor is right now. It's happening today. Today, freedom comes to the captives. Today, he can bind up the brokenhearted. It's happening right now in your hearing. Today, darkness and gloom is coming undone. So listen, listen to this. I mean, if you're in Christ, you might be, I mean, you might be on a bumpy, feel like you are on a bumpy ride right now in your life. But you are on the bus to unending joy. You're, you're heading to a city of unending joy. And the music is loud there. And the celebrations are loud and you're on your way to unending joy and you need to start hearing the music. And some of us can't hear the music because the clouds are thick and God understands that. The clouds are th the clouds were thick for Isaiah and there were only thicker clouds behind those thick clouds. But behind all of those clouds is a light that has shined and is still shining. And Jesus is saying the light has broken out upon you. Step into the light. You're an oak of righteousness and let, let some of the branches of the oak of, that, that God has planted in you, let it reach up and touch some of the light today and experience some of the warmth and the heat of that unending joy of that city. You're, you're heading that way. The king has willed it. it. It's impossible for it to be undone. What he has started. You are, you're heading that, that direction even now, even now. And if you don't know Jesus, why would you not get on that bus? Why would you hold off? Why would you run into the thick darkness? Why would you continue to increase your misery when you can be on the path of everlasting and ever-increasing peace and joy and love and life? I mean, that's the message of Christmas. It's the end of all 
evil and misery, and it's the, the knowing of God, and it's the coming into a kingdom, and it's knowing a king and experiencing the fullness of his life. And that's the invitation for all of us. If we're in Christ, let's celebrate. Let's take some time this Advent season and celebrate the light. Let's celebrate the fact that the light is shining. It is shining past those clouds. Uh, man, I, I shared this illustration last, uh, last service. I, my kids have gotten me into this, this hip-hop rap artist named NF, and his trademark, his brand is that you know, he has, uh, he'll, 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 he goes out on the stage and he's got this huge thing of balloons, black balloons. And it, it just represents that everywhere that he goes, these balloons uh, of distress and trauma and pain follow him around everywhere that he goes. And so I've, I've seen him, you know, twice now and it's, and that's like this trademark thing. And it's, it's a great picture, I think, of what you and I experience that those, those clouds, that's what it is. It's clouds of distress and darkness and gloom and pain and misery and all that kind of stuff. But listen, if you're in Christ, I mean, here's the reality. If you're in Christ, God is going to pop every single one of those balloons off of your life one day. Every single one. Pop, pop, pop. Every single one is going away. One day, all those balloons are going to get popped. And maybe for some of us today, the Lord wants to pop a couple, you know. He just wants a couple to go away. And, um, and you, can, you can invite his help to do that. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.